Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. This week we'll be taking a deeper dive into the second chapter of Ephesians. What is the God of the Bible like? What has God done for us in Christ? In this chapter, the Apostle Paul presents us with a catalog of contrasts that leave us speechless in wonder and worship. We pray this study of the timeless truth of God's Word will give you a sturdier trust in our Lord this week. If you'd like to learn more about the Village Chapel, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com. Now, here's Pastor Jim. Good day, folks. Pastor Jim Thomas from the Village Chapel here in Nashville, Tennessee with your daily devotional. Hey, we're walking through Ephesians together, 15 to 20 minutes a day, taking a chapter a week. So we'll do six weeks here in this ancient letter. And I hope you'll uh, subscribe so you don't miss an episode. As well, uh, most of the platforms, you should be able to download some show notes, which will include some of the quotes and study notes that I use along the way. We're in chapter two. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or if you're just listening and watching, I'll be reading the text for us. Just going to take three verses today. Three verses that, uh, man, if I were looking for uh, uh, just a handful of verses that really summarize um, the Christian gospel, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 would certainly be among them. I will remind you the first three chapters of Ephesians our, our doctrine, indicatives, if you will. Talk about what Christ has done. Uh, the last three chapters, chapters four, five, and six, more practical, more imperatives, and, and more if, if, if the first three chapters are about what Christ has done, then the last three chapters are about how we should respond to what Christ has done. I love Ephesians because it also really um, focuses in a little bit on some of the big questions that have been timeless questions really for humanity. We're still asking some of them. Uh, the first couple of verses just uh, uh, alone where Paul the Apostle uh, answers that big question, who am I? And a, a lot of us, even in our own day and time, are dealing with questions of identity, with questions of who are we? Are we created beings or are we self-created beings? Are we, do we belong to someone other than ourselves? Do we belong, does our body, does our soul, does our mind, is, it, is that mine to do with what I want? Or in some way, do I belong to God? Uh, do I belong to his mission in this world or does he belong to sort somehow or another fit into my agenda in the world? Who is God? Who am I? Um, what is salvation? And that's what I'm looking forward to diving into just a little bit for the next few minutes as we look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. What is salvation? Really, it's the burden, I think, of every religious belief system to answer that question along with who is God. I mean, that's a, that's a major question. Who is God and, and how can sinful human beings um, be reconciled with a holy and righteous God uh, if indeed God is holy and righteous? The God of the Bible present, is presented to us uh, as holy and righteous, we are shown uh, from the early pages of the Bible to be created in the image of God, designed to be in relationship with God, but because of sinful, because sin has entered the world and, and we are sinners, our sinful activities separate us from God. Um, and Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 
really start to answer this question, just hitting the nail right on the head. What is salvation? How can sinful persons be saved? Um, how can we, we be reconciled to a holy and righteous God? So let's take a look at those three verses here. Let me just read them uh, from, uh, this is the New American Standard Bible. You may have a different translation. If so, um, some of the words may be just a little bit different. It goes like this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And uh, before we get into the, the specifics of any of these phrases, I love the way it closed out. Um, that we should walk in them. That metaphor of walking um, opened up, really, chapter 2, when it was sort of the first couple of verses are the bad news. Uh, You were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the uh, course of this world. And usually in the New Testament, we pointed this out before. According to the course of this world means according to the way uh, those uh, who are in the world um, uh, would live their lives and and think about life as if God just flat out doesn't matter um, with indifference toward God or maybe even worse with some antagonism toward God. Um, so that's who we used to be and that that's the way we were walking. That's the direction we were walking. And Paul basically says, you've been saved now by grace through faith and it's a, it's a gift. And, and then as he closes it out, though, he's talking about us being the workmanship of, of God in Christ Jesus. And we're created for good works. And God's prepared that we should walk in them. So we were walking this way. Now we're walking this way. And it's the total 180 degree change. And we've often talked about repentance that way, too. It's a two, two-fold turn, if you will. We were going this way. We stopped going that way. Now we turn and face the other direction. We were going our way. We were going uh, our own selfish way. We wanted to be our own God. Um, and we stopped and then we turned toward the Lord. And there's a complete about face that goes on there. And that's what repentance is, a complete change of mind and heart that leads to a change in direction. So we formerly walked that way. Now we're walking this way. And this way is toward Christ for the glory of God uh, and and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Well, these three verses um, are, are a good summary statement of the Christian gospel. And some of you may have heard of the five solas of Protestant theology, um, uh, scripture alone, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, the glory of God alone. And uh, while uh, a lot of folks think that those five solas go back to and perhaps originated with John Calvin or with Martin Luther, um, they really didn't become popularized uh, as a, or congealed as a list until a little bit later. Uh, the 16th century reformers indeed um, articulated uh, these kinds of principles, but to put them together in a little list like this and to be broadly embraced uh, as a summary of uh, Protestant uh, theology, that happened more toward the 19th and 20th centuries. So this fivefold, these, these five solas, if you were, um, really came into, into play and into common use a little bit later. It's scripture alone. 
is what we're saying, that teaches us that God's salvation is by grace alone, uh, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and it results in God's glory alone. And then that, that glory of God, as we'll read right here, especially uh, in verse 10, um, begins to manifest itself. That glory of God is not just for at the judgment seat where God says, you're, you're, you're saved, okay, you, get, you, get, you can enter heaven. That's not, the glory isn't just limited to what goes on in, in eternity in the heavenly realms, but it's actually what's happening right now as well. We see that all through Ephesians, especially as we, get, as we lean into chapters four, five, and six. The glory of God poured through broken vessels such as we are uh, begins to um, illuminate the glory of God, the splendor of Christ as he begins to transform and change our lives and as we join God in his mission throughout this world. Well, some folks do get kind of caught up in trying to explain all the beautiful mysteries of the gospel and of uh, biblical theology into some kind of an airtight systematic uh, framework in which every question asked has a tidy little answer and every mysterious thing can be explained uh, at least to the satisfaction of silence, <laughs> silencing any further questions. And I realize that we all have a systematic and it, it may be a disorganized one, uh, uh, but certainly for all of us, um, the Christian gospel, we can, we can acknowledge that it's rational but that it doesn't resort to rationalism. And the ism is where the problem is. Um, God has been at work in the past and some of what God has done doesn't fit into my logic chain. Um, additionally, I believe God is at work in the present doing some things that are gonna blow all of our minds, yours included. And so we should just be living in a state of wonder and awe at, at what God does and sometimes at the way he does them and those things and sometimes at the people he chooses to work through and to speak through sometimes. Um, and and, and we, we also can be confident that God is at work and God will accomplish his plans and purposes. This much is quite clear. I think from verse eight, salvation's a free gift of grace from God. Second, salvation is the accomplished act of God. It's been accomplished already. Um, the cross happened in space-time history. The resurrection happened in space-time history. The ascension of Jesus back into the heavens and he's, he's being seated in the heavenly realm at the right hand of God the Father. That has been accomplished. That's already happened. The only thing we're awaiting now is the return of Christ. So there is a sense in which we can talk about salvation in three different tenses, if you will. I'll quote from Rico Tice, his book, Faithful Leaders. He says, I make sure I remind myself regularly of the three tenses of salvation that I learned when I was a young Christian. By grace, I have been saved by the penalty, from the penalty of sin. So by grace, I have been saved from the penalty of sin. Secondly, by grace, I am being saved from the power of sin. And then thirdly, by grace, I will one day be saved from the presence of sin. So penalty of sin, power of sin, presence of sin. Mm. And all of this, a gift of grace. What is grace? Well, grace is something that's given as a gift we see right here, don't we? Um, gifts of grace are given without regard for merit, 
on the part of the recipient. Grace is not about us earning or achieving anything. Grace is about us receiving something. Um, Grace is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort, uh, but it is opposed to earning. Um, God's gift of grace is on offer through the guilty and the undeserving. And that, my friends, is me. That is us. And I gotta tell you, that's really good news. Because if you've ever had the thought cross your mind, am I really saved? If you've ever had the thought cross your mind, why would God ever wanna save me? I can't imagine that God would wanna save me. Um, Here is the answer. It's not about something in you that he sees as, oh, I'm, I'm saying we'll be really lucky to have Jim on our team, here on Heaven's team. No, it's not about that. It's about this free gift of God's grace because God, the God of the Bible, reveals himself to be one who loves sinners. And so it's so important for us to keep that in perspective. As uh, verse 9 tells us, that Uh, silences all boasting on our part. It's not about our works um, because if if it were about something we did, some merit on our part, uh, then we could go around bragging and boasting and and Paul is silencing all boasting. Um, This is simply a a matter of God being generous with sinners, uh, loving sinners such as myself. And none of us have any bragging rights when it comes to the gift of God's grace given to us in Christ. All right, well, what about verse 10 and the fact that it mentions works? Well, notice that the Apostle Paul doesn't, uh, he doesn't just stop with the judicial aspects of salvation. And we've been really good, I think, in the, in the you know, past uh, decades, perhaps even longer, talking about the judicial aspects, and, and they certainly are important. Uh, the atonement, the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross in my place. All of that, massive, huge, really important. Uh, But it doesn't stop there. Um, It's it's not salvation by works, but it's it's not uh, faith by works. It's faith that works, though, as we see right here. We've been actually saved by grace through faith, and then we've been recreated in such a way that Jesus has invited us to join him uh, in his mission in this world. The New Testament um, uh, uses terms like born again in John chapter three. Um, uh, Paul in his letter to the Corinthians talks about us being new creatures in Christ. And so there's this pretty radical transformation that's being uh, implied here. This isn't just a tune-up, this is a complete engine replacement is what this is. And so this uh, great exchange that happens is where we uh, turn in repentance from going our own way. We turn to the Lord and we bow in repentance and in faith believing. We give back to the one who gave us life in the first place. We give our life back to him and he gives us new life in Christ. What does that mean? Well, at the very least, it's a a, a transformed transformative change that um, uh, results in a new way of being, a new way of seeing, a new way of doing. And there's so many different things that are changed. We who are in Christ, we begin to see other people as Jesus would see them. 
We begin to see life situations the way Jesus would see them. We begin to see even our own self the way that Jesus sees us. Not the way the culture wants us to see ourselves. Because the culture will both tear you up and build you up. And it'll tear you down as far as it can, you know, can, can beat you. And it'll also puff you up in ways um, that uh, turn you into a, a boaster, a bragger, if you will. Um, so nobody will lie to you more than the culture out there and, the, and, and our own flesh, our own ego uh, within us. And Jesus comes to replace all of that. This change uh, in the person who has been saved has an ontological impact, it's a, it, it, which is ontology is the study of being. And so it, we are new in Christ in every way. We begin to weep over what Jesus weeps over. We begin to rejoice over what Jesus rejoices over. To sum it up, uh, there is a total renovation of our hearts, our minds, our desires. Um, and all of that gets turned over to Jesus, who is now both our Savior and our Lord. If a thought, an impulse, a desire, an idea, uh, a conclusion or a conviction crosses our minds that does not align with Scripture, um, that does not align with Jesus, then we fall on our knees and ask the Holy Spirit to give us the mind of Christ in the matter. And there's no clearer plumb line with which to determine wise, godly, uh, right living than the Holy Spirit speaking to us through scripture and through prayer. Yes, verse nine, uh, Paul, and in verse 10, Paul talks about works, but notice that he does so all the while eliminating all forms of boasting or attempts at self-salvation. Paul says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, not by good works. God is the potter. We are the clay. God is the painter. We are the canvas. There's so many different ways to say it, really. You and I, though, we are being recreated, recrafted, restored by the master creator, God himself, and he is redirecting our affections. He is reorienting our priorities, realigning them, and we've been saved by grace uh, through faith, We've not been saved by us doing some good works. We are being saved for walking in good works. So yes, good works are a part of the picture, but they are a result of salvation, not the requirement for salvation. Two quotes, and I'll let you go. One is Peter F. Jensen from his book, The Life of Faith. He says, God reaches out for us and draws us to himself overcoming our all-too-natural sloth, indifference, and hostility. Wow. In other words, all-too-natural, those things, sloth, indifference, and hostility. I drift into those. You'll drift into those as well. Uh, but God reaches out for us and draws us to himself. His salvation, Jensen goes on to say, does not stop short with the cross. He then proceeds to draw us to himself, unite us with our Savior, that's being in Christ, and prepare us for our glorious future, transforming us more and more each day, each and every day, into the image of Jesus. Um, and that's really powerful. And that's happening right now. Pray that it might happen today to uh, you and, and to me as well. And then Fleming Rutledge in her book, or uh, 
well, it is a book called Means of Grace. It's a collection of some sermons by Fleming Rutledge, a brilliant uh, theologian. She says, the Christian community, when it is working properly, offers men and women a way of being related to one another that cuts across all the things that divide us. Ooh, wouldn't that be helpful in, uh, in an election year? Wouldn't that be helpful uh, when the culture itself is uh, uh, so, so much a river of rancor, so much acrimony and uh, outrage all around us. Um, She goes on to say, there's nothing else in human life that levels distinctions and creates new relationships like the knowledge that one has been saved by grace. Ah, so rich, so wonderful. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this passage. Um, How powerful and how profound in just three verses, Lord. Thank you for what it reveals to us about you and your heart toward us. Mm. Let that sink into our hearts this day, each and every one of us, Lord. Um, to the, especially to the, the folks who have been drifting, to the folks who uh, may have been living in open rebellion, running the other way, perhaps to the folks, uh, Lord, who are questioning whether or not you might love them, whether or not you would forgive them yet one more time. Let that sink in, the beauty of your sovereign grace. (laughs) Oh, Lord, we are so grateful. Help us to walk in the light of that grace today. Uh, Show us, Lord, ways that we can join you in your mission uh, in this world today. We pray all this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our TVC Resources newsletter or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.